Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to the MBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership Channel. As well as new content, we are making available selected podcasts recorded by our hosts prior to joining the MBN family. This is one of them, and so this podcast may refer to itself with a different name and identity. Enjoy the show. The centre of innovation is here, and you know this is part of the message of Project Cashmere of this whole podcast that there's something happening here which is beyond just good value for money. Like I said, having the vision is great, but the key is these concrete initiatives that drive it at the ground level. I think Paulina those people who are really they do extremely well with very limited resources, and we can take advantage of the really low costs here. You know, Poland is the land of opportunity, and I, and I like to say the East is the new West because you always used to go West in history to find more adventure and danger and prove yourself. There are some good things beginning to happen here in Krakow, but we've got a very long way to go. Good morning, good evening, good night, whatever time of day it is, Project Kashmir's listener. It's July 2020. In I'm in Poland and Peter, my guest, Peter Harrington, I believe is in the UK. Peter, rather than me try to introduce you, no doubt not as well as it could be done, why don't you do it yourself explaining who you are, where you are, what you do and anything else you say when you first meet someone? Well, it's good morning from me here in uh, the UK. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur, spent the last 30 years ever since graduation, uh, setting up and growing companies. And I have a particular interest in education and um, therefore the last 15, 20 years of my life has been running an ed tech company developing business simulation technology so people can actually start and run a business. But uh, it's really practice and they can make mistakes authentically without uh, having to do it for real. Well, that's fantastic. The main the main uh, thrust of this podcast, as I just to remind you, and for any first time listeners, is uh, to get people with interesting stories uh, with the focus on entrepreneurship and innovation. So, in a way, this is a meta conversation because your your product is about entrepreneurship and innovation, and you're an entrepreneur and an innovator. So, I think it's going to be a particularly enjoyable enjoyable uh, conversation. Uh, part of what we do is take uh, focus on the entrepreneurial journey in terms of how it happened that you became one. And can you talk a bit about your, your sort of family background and upbringing? Was it always clear to you or your family that this is something you might do? Or would your parents have asked, you know, 25 years ago, what's Peter going to be? Be quite surprised to discover that you're doing what you do now. Well, so family background is is dad was a civil servant, mum was a teacher, so very safe professions. But um, back in 1980, mum started her own business herself in catering, and it, it did sort of change her life. I don't think that was the the um, the light bulb for me because I think in my own mind, when I look back, there were always clues there that I was a little bit odd, a little bit different. Um, I started hitchhiking almost by accident and found I loved it um, and therefore loved uncertainty. Um, I think it was when I failed my A-levels and made a complete mess of those and started to do different things to other people and um, eventually did end up at university. Uh, Eventually, when it all had to come down to, right, I'm 23, 
I've got to do something. I thought, well, why am I joining the herd and trying to get a job? I'm not really enjoying that process. And then suddenly just the whole idea of being in charge of my own life and starting a business straight after graduation just seemed like the obvious thing to do for me. Okay. So um, you, you mentioned that your mother started a, a catering business and so you had some kind of role model. And you also mentioned the hitchhiking, which is actually something we, we discovered we have in common as I, I, I used to hitchhike. And obviously they're, they're completely separate stories, but I, I, I still think the the process by which people decide to become entrepreneurs is one that's really, really interesting. So you you were to some extent you were off track in the sense that you'd you'd done badly at your a levels and were you were you looking and if you could describe your sort of your mental state prior to setting off on your own business career what what's what were you considering and were you quite analytical thinking about the pluses and minuses of bif- different different approaches or more, was it more like a random walk for you i i'm quite an emotionally sensitive person. And um, in those last two terms of university and studying for finals, and, you know, I, I, I got an interview with uh, Unigate and um, I was predicted to get a good degree. I'd worked very hard, and but I wasn't at a top university by any means. Um, and I went for that interview in my suit. I remember it now. I think my answers were pretty rubbish. I was doing a bit of a marketing degree and it was a marketing position. And then they wrote me a letter and I'd got another interview and I thought, great. And meanwhile, other interviews were I was, I was being rejected from. And then I got another letter from Unigate saying they'd changed their mind and they weren't going to interview me. And that was the end. And I think I was just quite disillusioned with that. But, you know, going back to hitchhiking, I I genuinely like that sense of overcoming the odds, that uncertainty of of the challenge. And the the, the currency for me, that excitement of, right, can you do this? Can you make this happen? Um, Just just gave me a huge buzz. Um, And I knew that I would work extremely hard and making something happen, even though I didn't realise that was going to be spending 95% of my time making mistakes and going down blind alleys. Okay, so 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 your sort of your career search had sort of sort of ended before it started. In a sense, you're applying you're applying for jobs. You you thought you'd got one, and then it it didn't work out. And if you can try to go back to the way you were thinking, was it like a a gradual process that maybe I ought to start a business or was it what what the hell am I going to do now? And this was just one of the arranged available options or was it something that you'd sort of like considered earlier or what you, and you, you mentioned you're sort of not exactly fitting into, I think quite often entrepreneurs don't quite fit into existing structures. It's one of their defining characteristics, but if you could just like um, take us through the, the process by which you got to the, I really think I should consider starting a business or I was more like, I'm going to start a business. Just just a little more information about that. So you naturally tune into the people around you and people you trust when you're going to be making these decisions. And I had a wonderful tutor who was my management degree tutor for my, my degree and Romano um, was full of encouragement and he 
um, was supporting the notion that I could do this. At the same time, obviously, I talked to my parents, and of course, my mum was running. That was the tenth, ninth year of her catering company, and so they were hardly going to say this is something that you should not consider. Obviously, they wanted some security for me, but they knew me by then, and they realised that, that you know I wasn't slightly different. I wasn't run of the mill. The other thing was as well was that. In those days, I was, you know, I was leaving university with a thousand pounds debt, which is, of course, unheard of these days. And I went and did four weeks of work at, as a security guard at Wimbledon and Queens over that summer, and just paid that debt off. So I started debt free, and I, I, I basically wrote a business plan which paid me something like, well, two hundred and fifty pounds a month. And in those days as well, you got eighty pounds a month from the government for setting up an enterprise. And, and I kind of had this basic sense that, well, it is pretty low risk. And if I work really hard and can add to it, and I'll also go and wash pots at this restaurant I also work at in the evening, it kind of all adds up. And I'll, I'll you know, genuinely, there was a, I'll make it up as I go along and I'm going to be okay mentality. That These are very important lessons that I guess I, I, one of the purposes of this is to be useful for people who may be earlier on in their journey that, you know, you had a regular job. I certainly, you know, I also come from the, the, the British generation. I'm Polish now, but the British generation that was able to basically do university finance by other people than yourself. So you didn't start life with these these big debts, which is a great, a great burden for many people, um, younger people these days. And you also had regular jobs and there's nothing, sometimes there's the sort of the media talks up the, the, the image of the sort of hero entrepreneur who gets fun Silicon Valley and everything's very cool and swish right from the start. And, and that readiness to do basic jobs, washing dis dishes, being a security guard, it also gives you a respect for hard work, doesn't it, in, uh, in parallel to making you not so status conscious? Absolutely. And I, I think I look back now on 30 years and I realise I have no interest for status. And I, I, and I think it also means I don't respect it in the way that people who have worked alongside people with title um, do. Uh, because it, it is just has all been about hard work, using your imagination, building relationships, and and and, and learning from. It's not disastrous failure, but just learning from from mistakes. Which, particularly in the first two or three years, you're just making every hour. Yes, yes. So my, my father was a, a teacher, and he dedicated he died recently he he dedicated one of his books to all his teachers and in the uh, quite often there's a book dedication to a you know a, a child a parent a wife husband partner but one of his books he dedicated to all his past teachers i think it's it's interesting you referred back to romano one of your your, your management tutor at uni um being very supportive of you also credit to your parents basically for you know it sounds like they were obviously keen for you to be secure but also recognizing that your life was for for you and it, you know some people listening may have parents who put or or friend groups or family who push them in you know a conventional direction because 
there's a sort of wish fulfillment that mum or dad wasn't successful enough and they see their children as a way to achieve status uh, for them as parents. And if you're unlucky enough to be in that situation, it's important to disengage. It sounds sounds like you're, you you felt your parents were pretty pretty on side, but presumably you do know people who, you know, before their midlife before their midlife crisis, were living living to fulfil other people's dreams for them rather than their own. Yes, and I'm I'm, I'm sure everyone has witnessed and seen um, people who want to live other people's lives. But I've I've been a great believer in. You know, you've got to stand on your own two feet. You've got to let your own children stand on their own two feet. Give them the tools. Give them, equip them with what they need, but but don't do it for them. And that sometimes that can be hard because you can see them walking into traps and mistakes. Um, but I was very much brought up with that, and certainly Romano, who you mentioned again, the way he talked was to was very much about experiential learning. We we were active and actors within his classes all the time and he would point out to us what was good what was bad what was right what was wrong um but they were incredibly informative times and gave me that critical probably one percent of knowledge and confidence that you need to actually start apart on your own and i'm you know eternally grateful to to, to what romano did i should in touch with him Yes, yes, I speak to him every two weeks. He's now 87 and very frail. Um, but we actually, I mean, I was one of many, many people who were fortunate to, to, to study under Romano. Um, but a whole group of us got together and nominated him for a honorary fellowship. And uh, the university, uh, once they had the information, immediately signed it off. And there was a ceremony for him last year in York, uh, which he attended. And it was a, a very moving event. Do you think would he be well enough to come on my podcast? Do you think? Probably not. No, no. Romano is is is, is probably too frail now, but uh, he would have been a great guest in his day. The idea of Margaret Heffernan in her workshop was to look at the people who had influenced you, separate them into positive and negatives, and then of the people who positively interviewed, uh, influenced you, think about whether or not they knew that there'd been a positive influence on you. I sometimes think this is about hitchhiking, onto which we'll come in a moment, that you sometimes have a conversation with someone you hitch a lift with and they'll never know that 15 years later you might be talking about a conversation you had with them. But this idea of uh, recognising the people you have uh, you owe a debt of gratitude to and letting them know that this was an exercise to make phone calls or write letters to people was was very powerful so I, I think that's that's um, is, is there anything else to say about your your background and upbringing I haven't asked you that you'd like to share or do you, do you want to move on to more more on to your your business career now well I think very briefly I should also mention Frank and Feb Dawson I was very fortunate enough to work as a volunteer at an outdoor centre and they ran this outdoor centre, and the whole point was to give young people responsibility and to, to to get people outdoors and experience life in a very active way. And I worked there for 12 years in the summer as a volunteer and learned huge amounts about teaching, education, and, 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 and about working together and sharing stuff. Um, and I, I've written about that and spoken about that many times since, and they would have been the first people, as well as Romano, on my list of people to write letters. 
Okay, well, I'll ask you to send links to that to put in the show notes as well. And and there's an excellent podcast I'll also link to by Seth Godin, who, again, has given written excellent books on marketing about getting into top universities where he talks about NTAs, non-team activities. And very often as an employer, when I'm, when I'm hiring people, I'm looking at things on someone's CV or resume, as Americans understand it, to which show individual initiative. It's things that you people did outside what they had to do. And it sounds like, and volunteering, you know, may not sound like the stereotype of the entrepreneur. The, the volunteer is someone who's doing something for free rather than for money. But volunteering, taking on responsibility can be a tremendously powerful lessons in, in understanding someone's yourself and also organizations. So, Presumably, you'd encourage people to consider volunteering if their focus is to be successful in business. Agreed completely. Yeah. And, and in, 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 in a cause that matters to you. Yeah, exactly. Um, work on things you care about, which comes on nicely nicely into the into the business. So um so we'll we'll slightly change tack now. Now your your product now is focused on simulating being in business to educate people about entrepreneurship and business. So it's a sort of, if the, I'm sure a lot of people know the game, The Sims, or certain people know of building a city, building a civilization. This is about building a, a business. Was that your original idea, or was there a bit of a journey to reach the product as it is now? Maybe what was your original business idea? Let's go back to the beginning. Okay, so the, so the brand behind all of this is Sim Venture, all one word. And the thinking back then in 2001, 2002, was why is it that our failure rate for businesses is so high? And why is it that government-backed training initiatives through what was called Business Link are basically all around sitting about sitting people down around a table and telling them stuff and having a discussion and everyone walking away and going, well, that was really good, when the lemmings then just push themselves off the cliff, or 70% of them do, and no one seems to question this very high failure rate. And I just looked at, you know, well, let's have a look at other risk pursuits like um, aviation. How do you train? Simulations seem to be pretty uh, pretty much uh, a key part of that training. So why aren't we using them? Did some research, couldn't find anything that was serious gain. You know, there was, there was there's, you know, you have to sort of separate out something that's purely for fun and something that is trying to authentically replicate what it really is like to start and grow a business. And um, and so with my brother, who's a software engineer from the simulation world, we spent four years building SimVenture Classic, which came out in 2006. And we did lots of testing, lots of prototyping. And doing that in the university market built us lots of friends and people who were ready for the product when it came out. And fortunately, that, you know, I wouldn't say wildfire, but it was close to wildfire and it sort of spread. And we went from a sort of standing start in 2006 to 40 countries within six years and then we we invested a lot of money and building the much bigger online version which is SimVenture Evolution which came out in 2016 and that allows for large-scale learning and particularly now um, with COVID-19 you know where people are switching education to online learning that's engaging um, SimVenture Evolution particularly is proving to be very popular. I get that you 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 had this insight that the way people were the the way the British government was supporting business was too theoretical and not practical enough. But 
how did you come to that idea like right at the beginning because very often people experience was it that you were you were aware of that in your own business education and the, where, where did the idea come from right at the start you obviously noticed it but was there a moment when you thought there must be a better way or was there, did you experience a problem yourself or see other people because it's normally quite a quite a moment when you spot your business idea well it was a combination of three things so by 1999, I'd been 10 years uh, an entrepreneur setting up and growing businesses, and one of them had got particularly large. And therefore, you are around a whole community of people doing the same thing and learning about people whose businesses were either failing or nearly failing or didn't get off the ground or people asking for advice. And you see the same patterns and trends. I was then asked to be chair of an enterprise agency, which, of course, was linked into the whole um, business link network and saw then firsthand how training was being delivered and found out that it was exactly the same sort of almost the UK wide. Um, and it was more the fact that it was sort of one person talking to many, um, and then we'll bring in another expert person who will talk to you. And it's like, look, you know, that is very limited method of learning. And then the third one that really opened my eyes is when I started to be called in to guest speak at universities and other places. And they would literally sit down 80, 100 people in front of me and say, Peter, you are, you know, you, you, this is the best part about this course, you coming in and talking to these people. And I thought, well, if I am the best person on uh, for this course, then this must be a pretty shoddy course. <laughs> um, uh, because, you know, you've got to get them doing things. And, and, and that's right. And business planning was all the rage and getting students to write a business plan on a module. It's like, look, that's absolutely useless it's not going to teach them anything apart from how boring a business plan is um and i just thought look if and, and i was i was talking to government and, and talking to the rdas back then they weren't really listening so at that point we decided to invest a quarter of a million of our own money and build something and go it alone um you know there is definitely you know bureaucrats administrators have no interest in my experience of, of 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 working with entrepreneurs to make something happen you have to do it yourself and prove it out before they will almost take any interest in it okay so that 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 most of that's extremely clear thank you and I, i'm i'm Remember from the late 1980s when I was graduating and I set up businesses that, you know, all the government advice was write a business plan, write a business plan, write a business plan. And, you know, decades, a lot later, I met someone who had been in the, what was then called the DTI, Department yeah. of Trade and Industry. And, and and she said, oh, yeah, I think we put too much influence on business plans. And it's still a shame that, you know, this entire generation of people and very often entrepreneurship is the perfect career for someone who isn't very academic or, you know, structured, that they've got lots of motivation, they want to do things. And that's that's going to be the secret of their success and forcing them into this business planning, which is quite an academic exercise, is the wrong way to go, in my opinion. I guess you'd agree with that. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a very interesting one. The fact that, I mean, ideation and all the work um, that is now coming through, which is sort of Steve Blank related and Eric Rees, et cetera, you know, is, is, is having a bit of, you know, not having it, had quite a revolution in this area of planning and ideation and getting people to think from the market perspective. And that's been really helpful. But there is a tension here, which I think universities need to come clean about, which is, Professors of entrepreneurship are people often who study the subject, haven't necessarily done it. And I think that if people want to go to university to learn about entrepreneurship, like you might learn about art, 
then then that's fine. But they, they need to be clear that they're going to teach them about the subject, not teach them necessarily how to do it. But then, of course, there's professors of entrepreneurship who will teach them how to do it. And I think that until it's government regulated and then it, it's clearer about what people should expect from an, a business entrepreneurship degree, um, then I think academics will happily almost muddy the water. Yes, it's very interesting and quite a controversial point that that used art. I used the example of zoologists and botanists that a certain type of entrepreneurship academic studies entrepreneurs in the same way a zoologist studies animals and it's as if the entrepreneurs are in cages and they 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 look at what they eat and how they move and the, and, and what their ecosystem is but it's not they're studying the lion rather than figuring out how to be an effective lion and the sort of the, there's a it's such a a world apart and obviously intelligent people spot this but when you're marketing your entrepreneurship course to a a civil servant if the government's paying for it you may not the civil servant may not realize that that entrepreneurship is can be so different in terms of what's being taught and so they just give money because the president of the country or the prime minister thinks that entrepreneurship is a good thing not realizing that they're they're generating botanists or zoologists rather than rather than lions and tigers if you know what i mean yeah, that's absolutely spot on. And, it, you know, both have value, but we just need to be clear what people are getting, especially if they're paying for their education. Exactly, exactly. And But coming back, you mentioned that so around 2000, 2001, if I got the, the timeline right, you were you, you were seeing the problem. But you mentioned you'd had other businesses before then. So when, when you sat down after university and had failed to get that job in Unipath, um, what were your – can you give examples of other businesses? Because it sounds like this isn't the – you're a serial or parallel entrepreneur. You've done different things. What were some of your other businesses? Just to give a bit of context to how, how wide the spectrum of things you've done has been, and maybe give an example of a failure or two as well as successes in SEO, the, the first entrepreneur I've ever met who's never had a failure. Well, I, I haven't had a, a grim failure yet. Maybe that's going to happen. But so the, the first business I set up was sort of a, a research marketing design print agency. It did everything. But gradually that split up into separate companies. Um, so there became a design agency. There became the research company, which is the one that really grew and grew and grew. Um, you know, the, the Labour government, backed by Tony Blair, was put a huge amount of money into research from 97. And, you know, we went from turning over something like 750,000 to two and a half million um, in the space of about three or four years. Um, then the a print company came because the design company was winning, was doing lots of design. And so we set up a print company with you know, printing presses and um, all of that. But, I, you know, that's an interesting one in order to talk about failure because that set up in 2002 in the end. And that grew, but we sold it 18 months ago. And I think it practically has no value now at all um, because of the way that the digital market has completely overtaken um, the, the, the printed paper market. So I would say if I could have my time again, would I get into print? As a printing company, probably not. But you you, you don't see these things. Um, well, certainly you didn't see that, see the world like that in two thousand two. And, and one of the things that you've done, which I've I've also done, and quite often with failure rather than success, is 
you have a design business and you're designing things and then you, you, you're you buying print and you think, oh, maybe I could do print as well. So you moved around. So where did the the research company, where did that? I, 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 I still sort of see the sort of the origin as being a sort of fascinating thing for other entrepreneurs that where did the idea, idea of the market research or the research business come from you were and just coming back to your and I, I keep on going back i'm sure you in a moment we'll come on to your current product which i'm That's fascinated right. by but just just in terms of how you got there the these early business ideas so a lot of the work i did in romano's classes you had to do research it was so you learned research practitioner skills um whether it was survey design or and analyzing findings or having to write a report or stand up and present you know you had the journey package even if it was a at a, a relative that wasn't that basic but it was you know but you had something that i could take to market when i was 23 when i graduated so that literally i took those skills and built a research company from scratch um and but that was the the reason why i did it is because i had those skills but what's quite interesting and something i i've talked about a lot since is that you know entrepreneurship and running your own show is about finding out what makes you really sing and I discovered even though research was growing like topsy and made money it didn't make me sing as a subject what made me sing was actually employing people and seeing them move on and change and grow and often leave to be able to go and get a better job somewhere else and you know it's the relationships with those people over the three decades which I you know I'm I'm very proud of that isn't to say there there weren't people who shouldn't have been employed or mistakes were made I mean there, there has to be but the, the the experience of starting with research realizing that's not me but discovering what what I'm really about which is developing other people's talents and that's what I love doing that is what led me to do what I'm doing or have been doing since 2006 because I, I get a huge amount of pleasure from seeing other people progress. Great. And there's an entrepreneurial lesson here for anyone listening, which is uh, what, what Peter was doing at the beginning was thinking, what can I do? What can I do that other people might be ready to pay for? And that sort of rigorous self-audit. Uh, it can be quite alarming if you discover you've got nothing. You've got nothing, but be honest with yourself. If you've got nothing, then think, well, what could I learn? It's so easy to acquire skills these days if you put your mind to it and you're motivated. What can I do that other people would pay for? And the, But also there's a corollary to that, which is it doesn't always have to be about you. Maybe you can do one thing and you think if I could, you know, you're good at sales and you think if I could get together with someone who could do websites, we could do a business together. I can sell them. He, he or she can build them or vice versa. So it, very often it's, it's not just what you can do, but that, that rigorous audit and then looking for something that will give you an edge is a key part, particularly in the early stage. Once you've got tons of money, maybe you can buy in every skill you need, but early on you typically don't. What I would say to anybody now, particularly you know, at university, is that it's a brilliant opportunity. It is the place to go and meet like-minded souls with different skills because you don't have all the skills. But if you want to meet somebody who can help you with something typically for nothing at the outset, there's no better place than an educational institution. Absolutely. But I, I, I would say I would extend that and say, Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, whatever stage of life, make sure that part of how you spend your precious life is meeting different types of people. Don't just stick in stick in a narrow circle. Even if you go out and meet people who you don't get on with, they'll make you happier 
with, about the people you do get on with uh, and di diversity of experience, diversity, whether it's culture, gender, orientation, uh, social class, mix with as many different types of people. That I'm sure that's part of what hitchhiking used to give to me. The one thing that... Yeah. One, one of the beauties of hitchhiking is that it seems it's very much not class defined. You get, I remember hitching a hitching a ride with someone who had a title, so he was uh, someone who came from a wealthy business family, and also also with very people from very humble backgrounds, but they had in common that they were generous, and that you know that's a beautiful filter. They were generous with the space in their vehicle. You know, hitchhiking, and this is why I called the blog "Hitchhiker's Guide to Entrepreneurship." Hitchhiking and starting a business are so similar. You don't quite know what's going to happen. You have to apply yourself. You've got to have to meet people you don't know. You get on with them. You learn. You sometimes um, get things wrong. And it, and you might not succeed. And you always just have to accept that, that, that it might be a road to failure. Um, but all the time you are in charge of changing what you're doing. And I, I just found hitchhiking, like running a business, incredibly exciting. And, and just when you think, you know, oh, this is really terrible, it's amazing what comes around the next corner. Well, Peter, I, I, I didn't have this in mind when I, we started the podcast, but perhaps if, depending on how COVID and the virus uh, evolves, maybe in a year or two, we, we might go on a hitchhike together just to see what happens, because I don't do I haven't hitchhiked for a long time because time seems so scarce. But maybe sometime in 2021 <laughs> or 2022, we could try that. Now, coming on to your 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 simulation business, if everything goes, obviously you had reasons to do it, but what are the things that you think you want people to learn as a result of using your business simulation tools, whether as entrepreneurs, as organizers, just or in terms of character? What 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 do you think the the you're really happy if you meet a user of your of your product of your training simulation? And uh, you hear them say, yeah, the great thing I got out of it was X, Y, or Z. What would the X, Y, or Z be to mean you think, yes, that is exactly why I got this going? Okay, there are two answers to this question. So the X, Y, or Z is it made me realize how everything impacts each other. Because traditionally in the teaching, business subjects are taught in a linear fashion. We go to a marketing class, we go to a finance class, we go to an HR class, and we don't realize how they connect. Oh, and then actually we get into business and we realize time is another variable as well. And the, the point about the simulation is to get people to realize, look, if you're going to buy some marketing, whatever it is, or pay for some people to join the company, they cost you money. And that hits the, the bat, you know, and you, you've got to make decisions and understand the consequences of what you're doing. And it allows you to think in a much deeper way. And this relates to my second point, which is, from my experience, there are way, way, way too many students whose idea is, I just want to get a first-class degree. I just want to, how do I pass the test? Unfortunately, because governments have designed education systems which are all about passing the test. So everyone's become acclimatized to, how do I pass the test? Unfortunately, employers aren't interested in people who know how to pass the test. They want people who can think. And I really want the simulations to develop people's thinking and analytical skills and often that's where the teacher plays the role to actually show the student just look how much you know now or rather look how how you're thinking compared to the way you were thinking prior to using this kind of learning solution so there are, there are two things I really want it to do.
I'm going to write a blog post around this. This is absolutely fascinating, and it's so important that uh, and there are so many examples which are obvious to anyone who's run a business or run an organization because I see entrepreneurship as more than just business. It's getting things going, that it's making things happen that wouldn't have happened without you being involved in them. So that can easily be a nonprofit or a charity or a, a social project. But this um, this sense that there are consequences. And for example, when you hire someone, what is their experience as they join your organization from before they come into the office or wherever you work for the first time? What happens in those first minutes and hours is incredibly important. This is an expensive person. You, you spent a lot of time trying to find the right person. And if you're not ready for them when they show up and the first thing that happens is they sit around waiting while you sort yourself out, you, you make a terrible impression and that may negatively impact on their motivation and, and skill, uh, motivation and impression of your organization for weeks or it may be terminal even those first few hours. And I, I, having not used your simulation, of course, I don't know this, but I would imagine that the part of it addresses not market-facing things but organizational things. Yes, it, 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 you know, and it also addresses personal things as well. So it's recording how stressed you've become in the simulation because of the decisions you've made, or what's the morale of your team like because of the way you're treating them. And so it's it's much more than just in the computer. It's also, especially if you're playing with a team and your colleagues are all over the world and you're all playing as a team online. It's how you communicate with them. How do you how do you keep everyone going when things seem to be getting tough? So there are a whole range of ways people can use and learn from it. And, and and often people fail or they don't do as well as they thought. But I think we always learn far more from failure and, and when we don't do so well than from getting gold medals and succeeding. Yes, this, that's a very important, another lesson which anyone listening, that, you know, the things you remember very often, the things you go wrong and making a mistake once that isn't terminal can set you up for the future because it it sticks in your memory. You think, I never want that to happen again. And so you take great care with whatever it was that, you know, staying in touch with your important customers, or it may sound obvious, but, you know, so very often the first time you discover that you've lost your important customers when you hear from a competitor, oh, they're doing business with us now. And you think, <laughs> how, did, how did I let that happen? And then you think, right, from now on, once a month, I'm going to talk to my top five customers, come what may, that is more important than anything. And if anyone listening, hasn't thought of that till now that's a, a perfect lesson from this podcast so so imagine someone's listening and they're getting interested in your product obviously we'll post links to it and they're say they're a teacher or they're an individual they're a student and they want to do they want to learn from your it sounds like it's a group thing what are the preconditions you need because obviously if, it, if it's to do with teamwork and working as a team an individual by themselves may not be able to put that team together they might be in a village somewhere in vietnam or or or, or at a high school which doesn't teach entrepreneurship and they're very interested our listeners are all over the world what can they do to engage with it what are the preconditions to mean that your product is suitable for them in their situation well there's, there's, the the only precondition is you need to have to be able to have an internet connection that that and so you can log in and use a password and in fact actually at the moment we are running a uh, a free trial of the software in exchange for research and feedback because we work with hundreds of universities and organizations around the world but we're now moving the product as the world moves to you know the rise of the individual and personal education we're now moving to a direct business consumer model as well and so we've got a, a literally right now we have a, a, a free 
personal copy of Simventure Evolution being made available to, I think we've got 250 personal licenses available. Um, and certainly I can provide that link so that people can sign up for it. And, um, and basically, it's, uh, I think it's a month's worth of, of use as an individual. And then if you fill out the forms and, and give more, give some feedback, then you get longer. Because genuinely, we want to know how to shape the product exactly for how individuals want to learn and, and, how, and how they want to use it. Because we think that, I mean, if you take a degree, for example, in the UK, £9,250 a year for a UK student, um, well, we're looking at sort of making evolution available for something like, I don't know, maybe as little as five pounds a month. Um, an intensive use over three months, you learn an awful lot. Um, so, but we, we've got a lot of work to do, working with individuals, giving us their thoughts about what they think about it, how, how to use it, how they how they have used it in order to shape that. Um, so that's what that's possibly a, a, a way forward with you, Richard. You know, to, to, that's certainly. So I, I'd say to, well, this will be published in July 2020. Uh, obviously, the nature of podcasting is that someone could be listening to this in July 2021 or 2025. The long tail is a really big thing in podcasting. So what I would say is that there will be links to Peter's Peter's. Uh, organization and website if you're listening to this in some dim distant future write to peter saying you heard him on this podcast and is there anything that they you can do and you sound like the sort of person who'll try and be helpful to a, a, a struggling 19 year old in a country where five you know obviously peter has to a business has to pay its way a business that doesn't make a profit is a is a hobby not a business and you know it, you can't guarantee that it'll always be available on these terms and conditions for everyone but if it's in the region of you know as little as five pounds five pounds a, a week or a month then this is this is affordable in many countries and yeah and i'd say if you if that's a barrier contact me <laughs> maybe maybe i can sponsor a few people as well because the the idea that someone who wants to educate themselves can't get educated due to lack of funds is something i find fundamentally objectionable so um so i i, I think that, so but right now if you're interested in this product you can sign up and in terms of time commitment so so you say like how how if someone's let's say they've got a normal life so they're doing something else they're not going to be doing this eight hours a day things that how much time would someone need to devote over a, a day a week a weekend or a month to be mean that they get a meaningful experience assuming they're making an effort they're taking it seriously but they do they can't do it full time or, or, or 24 hour 7. Okay well a, a really good let's put this into a context and a story so we were approached this summer by a 17 year old who wanted an internship and um, Josh is working with us right now he started on Monday and the first task we gave him was right get to know evolution and yesterday um I was really interested in being part of the conversation to find out what he had done. And he had spent, he thought, eight hours um, so far on evolution. He, uh, the, the company allows you to run a business for up to 10 simulated years in quarters. And you can do that repeatedly. You can run different scenarios. And you have something called um, rewind. So when you can see, hang on, I've gone wrong here. And um, you can rewind and, and, and go again. And Josh is 17. And he said he ultimately went bankrupt in year eight but he wants to have another go and he'd spent eight hours um and he said he just said look i just love the challenge of trying to make something work so with multiple scenarios and 
you know, wanting to play the game until you succeed. You know, there's there's, there's probably 20, 30 hours at least. Then that's just that's just on your own. And there's also lots of information in there as well. Um, that, 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 that that's guiding information that's that's valuable. Um, so that, that that probably gives you some. Yeah, no, that, that that's extremely useful, and 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 I'm putting it on my to-do list that I I will. Um... <laughs> I, one of the troubles in my podcast is that quite often I was busy before I started and I end up with a couple of extra things to do, uh, uh, a 20, 30-hour commitment. But I, I, but for someone who wants to learn, this is undoubtedly an excellent way to go. How, how do you address – let's take a skill that we all know in business or anyone who's experienced knows is vital, like selling skills. How um, – how, can a simulation like yours teach that type of skill or make you aware of its importance? Or are there things that, let's say you know what it does, are there things that it doesn't do that, that it just creates awareness that that's important? But you say, we do do this, we don't do that. So selling largely is a tactical thing. And in the simulation, it's more, much more strategic. So yes, it's, it doesn't teach selling, but you've raised an issue there, which is a bugbear of mine. Why is it that you know we have 100 and, I don't know, 65 universities in the UK, and we've got probably got something like 4,000 marketing courses and three sales ones. And, and it's like, yeah, but every single business has got to know how to sell. And yet so many people in sales sell badly. Um, so it doesn't do. It doesn't help people learn how to sell. It doesn't help people, yeah, learn how to sell. But one thing I would, would you know, I, I emphasize on the the blog, the Hitchhikers, is there are several posts and articles in there about how to sell and uh, and what effective selling is is all about. Okay, so so um, I, I think this is this is worth exploring. So obviously, I, if you think of, I say that you know, business is about the the four C's, which is cash, competition, clients, and custom uh, clients and uh, costs, and the 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 three P's: product, people, and process. And then there's might be strategy and finance, which can be covered by cash. But there are certain bits of uh, what you need to be good at in running a business, which uh, let's say I picked up sales, and you know th this isn't a criticism. It's just helping people get the get the context. Um, how, uh, in terms of organisation and management, other things that you 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 emphasise people need to learn independently of this. You you're getting the strate the strategic side of things, maybe the cost side of things. Uh, other other key things which this isn't doing because. Obviously, a 30-hour course isn't going to teach you everything you need to know about everything. Uh, yes. I mean, for example, if you are working on your own, the, the benefit to, say, for example, working in a team means that you're not going to learn about how different people make decisions when you have to use negotiation skills to, to develop what you, you know, to get what you want or to get the right outcome for the team. Um, and, you know, you don't learn about yourself so much when you're working in a vacuum. Um, so there is that sort of difference about working individually and and working as a team. But I also think one of the key things is is people is is to help tune yourself out of I just want instant success. I want instant gratitude, which is one of the problems the mobile phone gives us because it just gives us right. I get instant information. I need this. I would just like to watch something to tend to entertain myself. And it's it's about learning to reflect. 
and say, hang on a minute, I haven't succeeded there. Rather than just immediately starting again, let's take some time out, which is still simulation time. But let's go and, you know, what am I doing wrong here that is going to, you know, I need to think about and go back to. And one of the key principles, as you know very well in business, is that successful businesses make informed decisions about, you know, what their market's doing and what the competitors are doing. And you can only make informed decisions if you've done the research in those areas and know what's going on at any one time. And this is a critical part of evolution in that you, you, you need to know what's going on. In, and if you don't, then don't be surprised is that your business is, is just going to fall away. And I think a lot of people who start up, and I, I was one myself, they create products, they create products, they do it on their own, they think it's brilliant, they don't want to tell anyone about it because they think it's the latest, brilliant, most brilliant secret that they can't let out. And then they're surprised when no one buys it. Or rather, they're surprised when they put it on their website and sit in their office quietly that no one comes and clicks on and buys it. But anything to, you know, everything to avoid actually interacting with people, getting feedback, learning what, 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 not, what isn't quite right and changing it. And it's, it's that attitude of, of focusing on a product and not engaging with customers, which kills so many businesses before they get over the start line. Absolutely. And this is this is so important at every stage. The number of and I, I do some not so much these days, but I do have done quite a lot of angel investing and, and sort of above angel investing scale uh, business projects. And the number one reason why I reject a call with someone who sent me their their proposal for a a, a, a business collaboration or their pitch deck as they're called these days um, is that the voice of the customer is missing. And I say, <laughs> you know, you know, it's like they say, well, you know, the whatever. Imagine you've got some device for repainting bulldozers, and they say there are a hundred million bulldozers or whatever there are in the world. So it's a and, you, and repainting a bulldozer costs two thousand pounds, so it's two thousand times a hundred million or whatever, and, and so it's a huge market. I say, well, just you know, if there are so many, just find me one or two bulldozer owners and tell me what they think, because you know they will. And if they say this is completely stupid, I've never repainted a bulldozer in my life. That's quite an important thing to discover early on. And <laughs> on the other, you know, and so so just getting the voice of the customer and is a corollary of that is that um, people often obsess about the competition and it's good to know about what your competition is up to but really successful businesses just focus much more on the customers and that's sort of regular interaction not with just what the customer wants now but what the customer is telling you their future plans are and what you anticipating their future problems if you work on that you can be leaving your competition behind because they they're looking at your website and your website doesn't reflect what you know about what the what the customers really want and sounds to me like what you're doing right now in your in your project is getting very much the voice of the user the voice of the customer center stage yeah, and, it's, and it all comes down to the most important issue in business, which is trust. And the customer quickly becomes a partner if you develop these relationships because they realize, look, yeah, ultimately we might make some money out of this, but that's irrelevant. It's more, look, we're genuinely interested in developing the talent that other people have through appropriate and powerful learning resources which will advance other, you know, advance the user. And we are really keen, you know, we've, we've been working with, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tutors and lecturers and teachers and trainers over the past 15 years 
And now we want to do exactly the same with individuals. We might not be able to go as in-depth, but this is why we're giving the product away for free. We say, look, tell us what you think. We'd like your feedback. You know, it, it can't be a pitch and a sell and say, well, give us some money and then give us your feedback because no one will, no one will, will, will interact with us. If this project goes the way you want it to go, do you have a sort of vision of where you're going to be in three or five or seven or ten years' time? What, what, what will be happening if you say, this is going exactly how I dreamed it was going to go? I think the way that, that, that education is going to go is, to, is, is very much more like sort of bed and breakfast rather than hotels. So we're going to see a lot more people from around the world looking to online solutions to gain an education. And it's, it's going to be involvement of, 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 of great tech, more private sector, with public sector institutions so the i mean it's an awful thing to say but this covid19 you know is has been very good for us because suddenly it's a big wake-up call for educators to go wow online actually is important and I, I better stop actually standing in front of people and telling them what i think there are other ways to do this and so that what i'm hoping is that we will continue to be rather in in being in say four or five hundred universities four or five thousand but more importantly, we'll be working with, you know, maybe a million, two million people worldwide who are able just to be able to get our resources at, at, at low rates. And also what I'd like to think is that we're going to have the universities backing that up with certification. So it's not just a question of self-learning and, 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 and crossing your fingers and thinking, well, what I'm learning, I, I, I'm going to tell an employer or, or start a business, you know, that's the value. You're actually going to have some certification behind it so that, that there's some real value there. But ultimately, what I want to be is that the dint in the universe we make is to enable people to learn in a way which they previously um, couldn't do. Yes, and I, 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 we're just getting to the end, but I'm, I'm very interested in the idea that entrepreneurship is for everyone. And this sounds like this could be a course that is taken by artists or historians or museum curator, people studying museum or library science, not just people who are destined for a world of business. It's a more, you, you, you want this to reach a very wide audience, don't you? Yes, and I think I come back to a point you made, is that I really want to tap into and support people who want to learn, who are keen. But, but there's a ceiling above them. Um, and I, I find it equally frustrating when people who've got money, who go to university and, and, and really just think it's, it's a rite of passage and don't really do much while they're there. Now, fair enough, it may be because of the way they're being taught and they've not been inspired. But entrepreneurship is about getting off your own backside and doing something, making a difference and, and yes, accepting failure. And it's, it's fantastic when you come across people who've got energy and they just need some support, some direction, but they're actually, you know, taking the initiative and making something happen. And it's those people, and they're all over the world, who I really want to find support, help, work with, etc. I was going to ask you for any closing thoughts, but I don't think I can do better than that. So, uh, Peter Harrington, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'll drop you an email asking for a few more links to share with our listeners when this is published. And I very much want to stay in touch with you, invite you to uh, speak at future events. So uh, I, do you have any any closing message or shall we just wrap up now? Richard, it's been a pleasure being on the show and yet yeah, delighted to be involved. And you never know, maybe we'll join each other on a hitchhike one day. Let's hope so. Thank you for listening to another episode of Project Kashmir, brought to you by me, your host, Richard Lucas. If you enjoyed listening, check out additional podcasts on our webpage, projectkashmir.com, or on iTunes, where you can also subscribe so you never miss an episode 
and also leave us a five-star review if you feel like it. We welcome feedback and suggestions of new interviewees, whether as comments on projectcashmere.com or via our page on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Adam Zuber. Thank you again for listening. You know, vision is all great and well, but execution is actually the key. The actual process of meeting those people, working with them, is in itself a huge reward. Interaction between the university and the business high-tech community is absolutely fundamental. Diversity creates a healthy ecosystem, and I think that I'm seeing more and more that diversity. It's not just about individuals, but it's about new individuals, it's about, you know, um, new initiatives. Sometimes they overlap with each other, sometimes they might be cannibalizing each other, but the reality is that you want to have as many as possible, because that accelerates the big picture. We're not going to have everyone in the world here, and in this connected world, we don't need everyone here, but, but the, the, you know, the artists and the designers, the creatives, they're very much part of what we what we've got and what we need so if you're listening again somewhere else in the world and you feel you're looking for a place where your 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 creative juices will run then 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 this city is certainly a place where you can find yourself and I think you can make history in Poland I think you can be part of something much bigger than you could be a part of in the United States right now not just from a you know going out to San Francisco to make Silicon Valley richer, but but making a new part of the world um, grow at a much faster rate, be a much bigger part of that community and, and making it wealthy, not just for wealth's sake, but for uh, a purpose, which is to make that country's government stronger, 